Janina. Hi, Emma. Hi, how's things? Well, I have had the flu for like a week, so I'm sorry if my voice craps out um, or okay. I start coughing. Okay, that's both. They both add charm and personality. I, you haven't heard me cough. Mm, I sound, is it charming and personable? If an eldritch horror is charming and personable, <laughs> then yes. To other eldritch horrors, maybe. <laughs> maybe. How are things with you? All right. My cat had an operation and I got to see what a cat uterus looks like this week. So oh, wow. I've had what I'm going to call a pretty great week. That's pretty incredible. I've never seen a cat uterus or any it, uterus. It was fish. cat uteruses, just very quickly, are usually very small, but Livia's was very infected. So it was massive. So they kept it to show it to me to show how gross it was. Oh, that's pretty gross. I mean, if you're going to see a uterus, it might as well be a ridiculously infected one. It might as well be one gone very wrong indeed. <laughs> um, so now she's walking around in a cone and banging into things, which my partner finds very sad and I find very funny. <laughs> both things it can be both things yeah so yeah so that was pretty pretty good highlight i have to say yeah that's brilliant that's, yeah this yeah much more exciting than our house where we've both been sick so just playing a lot of assassin's creed odyssey oh yeah running around being a spartan uh yeah yeah it's great like fighting the athenians yeah but you, you also the fight the spartans basically you're like this badass mercenary woman with an incredible bird and you just get hired like you've got a story you're trying to find your family and but there are various parts where like you're on team Sparta and to parts where you're on team Athens and you just you just kill whoever oh, okay. you want basically so it's very like good Alcibiades ha <laughs> it's a good joke for anyone who has read Thucydides Peloponnesian Wars there <laughs> uh, which surely everyone in the world has it's oh, a bit I mean, of like bedtime reading there. <laughs> if you haven't, then I recommend reading the Alcibiades bits. <laughs> and, and also the bits where Thucydides talks about himself in the third person. I always enjoy someone talking about themselves in the first person. I know, third it's person. Good, isn't it? I forget things at the moment because I'm not well. Um, I keep <laughs> annoying Jamie by telling him things like, did you know that Pericles died of a plague and that was one of the reasons Athens lost the war? And he's like, you're it's spoilers. <laughs> that is a I feel like that might be a spoiler for the end of the game I don't think you can spoil a 2,000 year old war 3,000 year old war even 2,500 year old war yeah, there you go <laughs> split the difference two and a half thousand yeah I mean you're possibly right but anyway well I'm glad that you've had that it is very good anyway. I did just kill the Caledonian boar and when I say I killed it it was very hard so I made Jamie do it for me <laughs> because I play games for fun and not to prove anything about myself I have always felt this, like, this is why I literally only play games designed for children. Mm-hmm. I'm going to buy the new Yoshi Craft World one or whatever Ooh. it's called, because I played the demo and it is literally for six-year-olds, and I was like, this is my dream game. <laughs> like, the worst, like, you have to just collect cows and jump on a thing that's not even attacking you, it's great. That is pretty good. See, most of the time I quite like Assassin's Creed for that because it's like not super hard. It's not a shooter, so you don't have to, most of the time you don't have to aim and do a thing at the same time. You just oh, hack important. in the air and the game will put the person you're fighting <laughs> in front of where you're hacking. So it suits my combat style, which is button mashing pretty well. But um, sometimes it requires tactics and that is where I fail. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. What are you talking about this week, anyway? Oh, yeah, this is not a, 
a podcast about video games and the one <laughs> video game that I'm capable of playing. And this is a podcast about how history is both sexy sometimes and complicated. Not a sexy subject this week, I have to say. Anti-sex. No, although sex did happen in this t- topic. Sex did happen, and I'm sure some of it was sexy, I guess. Uh, yeah, casual. let's hope. Yeah, this week we've got a question from Eve Whittle, and she emailed us, which is fun, because sometimes <laughs> we check the email and we find we have questions there, which is great. And she asked us, what is Lebensborn? Or Lebensborn? Lebensborn. And why do we Lebensborn? not know about it? We're not very it. good at pronouncing Lebensborn, so we're very sorry no. to the German speakers. Oliver's lovely wife tells us that when we say Lebensborn, then what we're saying is the fountain of love, which is very much not what this is. No. And I can't remember what Lebensborn is, but it's also not right. So it's kind of a Lebensborn. Lebensborn. Leben. You say it better than I do. I'm professionally trained. Yes. <laughs> this is actually the fountain of life. Yeah, which also makes it sound like a much life nicer thing it than sound. it is. Yeah, and what it is, is as it's a Nazi program started in 1935 as a kind of antidote to the attempted eradication of, in Nazi inverted commas, <laughs> racially impure people was to raise the German birth rate and to increase the number of Aryan children by increasing the number of perfect Aryan children from perfect Aryan parents in order to populate Germany and eventually the Earth with yeah. perfect Aryan Because there was this de- population decline happening in Germany in the 30s, partly because they put in place miscegenation laws and they started... That didn't help, yeah. That doesn't help. Started, like, forced sterilisation of people who had any disabilities or anything that the Nazis didn't want passed down into the next generation of good German children. And also because so many men had been recruited into the army and there weren't as many around as to be fathers and having a child out of wedlock without a father around was yes. socially not the best at the time. Well, they were very against it. Yeah. They so, made it kind of illegal to have a child out of wedlock and they also made abortion illegal. Yeah, so there were not not enough babies being born and the ones that were being born, not enough of them were racially valuable is the term. Racially I think valuable used. is a term that we're going to say a lot and is not pleasant to say. Yeah, there are quotes, uh, there are big black quotes around it. It is a <laughs> Nazi's term, it is not ours. <laughs> yeah, and they're so. very keen on it as a term. Yeah, so it has a kind of three-phase kind of program Uh, but it is one that has kind of not been talked about very much it's certainly one that I had never really I kind of maybe heard of it but it was not one that I knew very much about yeah and from what I've seen that's really common like uh, everything I read said that it's only within the last 10 or 20 years that it's been looked at closely enough to dispel a lot of the rumors there were about it like there were rumors that it was basically a brothel full of Strong, flaxen-haired women that could just wait around for SS soldiers to come and impregnate them. And that doesn't seem to have actually been the case, but those are the sorts of rumours that sprung up around it because there was so much secrecy. Um, Yes. And there were kind of some very limited times when this occurred, when there was some kind of when racially pure women were specifically recruited to have mm-hmm. sex with not, uh, SS officers. 
in the hope of specifically breeding children. So there was a woman called Hildegard Trutz, who was kind of 18 years old in 1936. And she was given the career careers advice that the best way to serve the Führer <laughs> as a blonde Aryan woman who was a very loyal supporter of Hitler was to go to a Lebensborn center which were kind of maternity homes more than anything well yeah it started out very much well i mean i say start out very much as if it's a nice thing as a welfare program specifically for vetted aryan children um which meant that the mother and father both had 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 passed racial purity tests Going back, back to their great grandparents, yeah, to going prove back three, racial at least purity three to their great to prove that they were they were sufficiently yeah. well racially valuable again. Yeah, so there was this kind of that's the kind of first phase is the welfare program that you have a child who is again American as racially valuable, <laughs> and that started. The first one was in 1936. It opened in Bavaria as a maternity program, and it was a space where women could go to give birth to their children, particularly if they were giving birth out of wedlock or if they were married but couldn't necessarily support them themselves. I think um, something like 60% of the, at least in the early stages of Lebensborn mothers were unwed. Yeah. Um, So they got a certain amount of protection by being in the program. Yeah, and this is a situation where, as an unwed mother in 1936 Germany, you don't really... It's a, a very controlling space where you're constantly being watched, and so any out of wedlock sex was seen as being a Nazi I suppose and so it was a space where you could go to have your child and have it be something that you weren't being ostracized for because you could say that you were doing it for Germany for a certain extent and also be supported through it in a way that you wouldn't be otherwise yeah which continued throughout the war as well there was um high quality food given to the people in these homes when other parts of the country were basically starving they were prioritized in terms of goods and services <laughs> yes and it was yeah it was like probably in terms of if you were classed as a racially valuable person and you happen to be pregnant and need the support it wasn't a bad place to be interestingly there was a competing organization it's important to say i think that lebensborn was heinrich himmler's personal baby project in more ways than one. Yeah, he oversaw it very directly and he made a special deal out of one of the kids who happened to be born on the same, uh, on his birthday. Oh, and really? Yeah, oh, apparently. Nice. Apparently he got, uh, you know, he was very personally attached to the program. He wasn't just overseeing it from his fascist I mean, if you remember tower. from our Nazis and the Supernatural thing, Janina, that Himmler was very interested in a lot of very weird shit. <laughs> He was a weird guy. A weird... He was very into his ice theory. Yeah. You remember the excellent ice theory? I do remember the ice theory. And the, he, he was the guy who sent some magicians and astrologers to find Mussolini. Yeah. And he was very interested in miracle weapons and looked for Thor's hammer. He's a lot... There's a lot going on with him, like a lot more than you would expect when you just look at his little face with his tiny studio's yeah. glasses and his neat hair like he was he he hides hidden depths 
He had a lot of ideas, let's put it that way. And mm-hmm. all of them were barking. Stupid. And yeah, just ludicrous. If anything, and I've been thinking this as I've been reading this. So like once we get into when they tried to expand Lebensborn and even like when you're just doing this in Germany, like you've got all these women, they're coming, there's thousands of them, maybe 10,000 babies were born and and kind of taken care of through the Lebensborn program. And each and every single one of them had to be vetted back several generations. And that is a shitload of administration. Yeah, it's a lot. That's so much paperwork. Yeah. And so many resources. Like, people's fucking jobs are doing that. And I know we said this with the last one, but it's like Himmler was specifically sent so that the Nazis lost by yeah. misplacing their resources it's wherever like they could. It's like his job was, please waste as much money as humanly possible. In yeah, a short we've got all of this manpower. We've got slave labour. We are terrible in every way. We are doing everything that a human society can do in order to have the most resources possible. Is there a way that you could fuck up this war for us? <laughs> and he's gone, yeah, I've got yeah. shitloads of ideas. Yeah, just like, let me run free. <laughs> yeah, do you want to hear my one about, about lasers? <laughs> uh, do you want to hear my other one about how like we're going to find all of these ships with the danglings? I've got this one about how we're going to racially breed some children and it's going to take so much paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's going to be real complicated. We're going to need so many researchers on staff. Yeah, and it is good. The categorizations of races are going to be very complex indeed. (laughs) Um, Because I am specifically here to make sure that this does not work out for us. (laughs) Uh, yeah it is like I just kept thinking while I was reading about it like there were 10 homes in in Germany and then there's a competing one which is not owned by Himmler which is called the National Socialistic Volkswolfrat great that rolls off the tongue it does it just skips right out of my I mean it probably does if you speak any German at all which we do not we should get Barbara on to do this for us You should just um, get her to record all the words and then just drop them in as if it's yeah. us speaking. But yeah. Um, yeah, which is like the welfare state part and is where they sent, basically was kind of where they sent children who weren't considered to be like the good Aryan children. So if born out of wedlock, but you're like half German or if you're born out of wedlock but you're like you can't prove that you are Mm -hmm. fully Aryan then you get sent there which kind of seems like okay it's not much of a competing organization but they also tried to expand (laughs) like they got a foothold in the Netherlands for reasons that are entirely unclear to me Mm -hmm. in order to keep Lebensborn out it just seems like a bizarre political fight between two welfare organizations both of which seem to have the same goals, <laughs> but trying to undermine each other. Didn't want to do it together. Which, once again, feels like Himmler was sent to undermine <laughs> everybody. He was just, like, as a person, extraordinarily successful at being wrong about everything. Just yeah. 100% of things. Just, he gave it his best shot and all of his energy, but just very, so very much wrong. energy. 
so wrong, so bad, so very bad to his core. Yeah. But yeah. A fascinating, fascinating man. A, a terrible, fascinating man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically these 10 homes, they're basically maternity care homes for the most part. Yeah, and they also um, provided adoption services for kids uh, if if mothers, particularly our mother, the mothers didn't want to keep their kids, then they would be, there was an orphanage and adoption services provided as yeah. well for those ones. And then as the war starts and men go off, lots and lots, many hundreds of thousands of millions of German men are exported violently, shall we say? <laughs> uh, <laughs> exported violently, that's an excellent term. Thanks. <laughs> so quite the euphemism, uh, if I do say so myself. Yes, uh, are expo- violently exported throughout Europe. And so with this is when we start getting war babies. We start getting what are called war babies, yes. And in some places, such as Norway, where Lebensborn is really like, as much as it's a German story, it's a Norwegian story. It is. Yeah. Like, there, were, those are, this, there were almost as many uh, homes in Norway as there were in Germany. Yeah. I think there were 10 in Germany and 9 in Norway. Yeah, and the first one in Norway is 41, 1941, which is big. And also because Norway is the, the Quisling government. Did you know that Quisling government is a name of an actual person? That's good, isn't it? That's fantastic. Quisling's such a good word. As for a collaborator. It just doesn't Uh, sound like an actual word. No, for a long time I thought that Quisling was like a a changeling. Yes. I had those two words confused in my head. Yeah, but that's what it sounds like. Um, But it is because Vidkun Quisling was the prime minister during the collaborationist government between the Norwegians and the Germans. And when Germany invaded Norway in 1940, uh, Vidkun Quisling, who was the a Norwegian fascist, was there waving a little Nazi flag and inviting them in. Great. And Nazis everywhere, it turns Yes, out. he was very keen on the whole thing. Um, and so he, because they were, they had such a enthusiastic fascist government there, the Nazis developed a great slogan in Norway, which went, after the victory on the battlefield comes the victory in the cradle. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> great. Yeah. Yeah. And there was some distinct encouragement for, especially in Norway, because they were considered, if you remember the ice theory. Mm-hmm, I do, again, remember the ice theory. If anyone is not aware of the ice theory, then do go back and listen to Yeah, do go back and listen to the Nazis and the supernatural, because one, you'll learn an awful lot of good stuff. But also you'll learn that one of the underpinning things of, of, of kind of the Nazi worldview was world ice theory, which believed that everything in the world was either ice or fire, and therefore neither maths nor gravity were real. And therefore, northern European people were inherently superior because they were better able to handle the cold and therefore were better created for the ice world. It's funny when you think of how ridiculous we think flat earthers are. <laughs> they're really they're weak absolutely they're not even fucking trying have got nothing on nazis uh they've really got nothing on the nazis but so they saw the northern european peoples of norway and denmark to be kind of even like the best of the best the most aryan of the aryan and so german soldiers were encouraged to to make babies to not marry i did discover in the process of this that if 
a German wanted to marry a non-German, as a German soldier wanted to marry a non-German soldier, they had to go through a very, very rigorous, like going back several generations, review of mm-hmm. their like racial purity. Yeah, sure. Got to make sure they're racially valuable enough. Yes. And then each case was personally decided by Hitler. So right. a little file would be put together and sent off to Germany and in between literally running the Second World War and doing all of the other shit that they were doing, Hitler would have a look at your file and decide whether you could get married. So unsurprisingly, there were not that many marriages. Yes. I mean, and there were a lot of, like anecdotally, a lot of the individual accounts that I've read over the past couple of days, often the soldiers or the SS officers were already married anyway. Yes. Um, but they were still being advised to make as many good Aryan babies as possible. So this is where you get war babies, which if you don't know is a term used. And the, war babies happen in every war. It's when an army is sent somewhere, they have some sex and leave some babies, and then at the end of the war, they go home. There was a, there were particularly dramatic amounts of this in, in Vietnam, which we'll probably talk about in the next episode because we'll get to it. But um, <laughs> I'm um, yeah, I'm like how I know what the next question is, and now I'm like, oh, will we? No, no, which it's not uh, on Vietnam, incidentally. <laughs> but these specific war babies, if they were racially valuable enough, were then part of made part of the Lebensborn program and became German children, and not just German children, but the hope for the next German generation. Yeah. Basically. Part of the process of making the world more Aryan. But one of the reasons why it took off in Norway for two reasons. One, it started early. Mm-hmm. Two, it had great amount of support from the government in a way that it didn't elsewhere. Like Denmark. When they invaded Denmark, Denmark basically said, look, we won't put up any resistance if you promise not to bother us too much. Mm-hmm. Where they were, where they, they wanted to be neutral, so they basically were like, so they kind of came to an agreement that the Nazis wouldn't bomb the shit out of them or invade them too badly if they were left alone, which happened. So they net like the the process of of things like this kind of government bureaucracy of Nazi Germany didn't make as many inroads into Denmark as much as they would have liked it. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Norway, because they were enthusiastically behind it, I say they, because Quisling and his government were enthusiastically behind it, they kind of, it came in a lot. But also because the people of Norway were not as keen. In fact, Quisling had lost a lot of elections before he became before the Nazis made him prime minister, they were kind of virulently anti-Nazi, um, and so I mean, that women seems who, fair. yeah, I mean, good for them. <laughs> but women who did have relationships with German men, regardless of whether those relationships were coerced or not, which so technically including- they all were, because the Nazis were an occupying force. So a woman's ability to give consent is compromised by the that fact that it's an invasion, it's an invading soldier that she's with. Yes. So arguably. None of this was consensual. But some were more consensual than others, I suppose. <laughs> sure. Some of the women were into it if their capacity cons- for consent was damaged by the situation of the relationship. Should we yes. say that? Does that make sense? That makes sense. That's a nuanced <laughs> way of saying it, which is true. And there is as a power... Power, what's the word I'm looking for? Inequality. Uh, the, yes, the, yes. Yes. That has to be at the centre. But women who were 
like extremely not into it were also ostracized in the same way as women who were seen as collaborators and there was a very strong ostracization and rejection of women who became pregnant by german men yeah which continued to affect the children that arose out of this even long after the war was over yeah yeah i guess we'll get to yeah so it was a place where where women could go if they became pregnant from a relationship or a one-night stand or a rape. And it was a place where they could be safe and where they could be looked after as long as they could kind of... But here's the thing. In Germany, there was no real secrecy about what, the, what Lebensborn was because there was no real secrecy about what the fuck the Nazis were doing. But in Norway and outside of... Germany, because it does expand to some other places as well, it was a secret and they didn't tell people that's what they wanted because they didn't want women who were potentially the carriers of a good baby. Mm-hmm. So like who were carrying, because that's basically how they see these women. They just see yeah, them sure. as wombs. Wombs, because they, they don't see people as people like at all. Yeah, it's kind of the central tenet of Nazism. <laughs> it is a central tenet of Nazism. They're very keen on blood, but not people. <laughs> is that they don't want anybody scared away if they have the potential to be carrying a Aryan baby. So they don't tell anybody what's happening. And so they're kind of evaluated or like researched behind their backs. Like they come to the Levensborn place and they're welcomed in and then they're researched and then they are kind of farmed out. Mm-hmm. to various different ones so if they're like super Aryan then they get sent to Germany and if they're like less racially valuable God, it's such a terrible term it's then they are farmed the out term in the world to the less good places mm-hmm. and apparently I read so a lot of this comes from a really good book that I found which is a Norwegian book which is called uh, the the children of World War II the hidden enemy legacy which is a collection of academic essays about various different aspects of uh, war children from Europe. Mm-hmm. And there's two particular articles. One was called Under the Care of Lebensborn, Norwegian War Mothers and Their Children. And um, the other one was called A Topic for Life, Children of German Lebensborn Homes. And they both have a lot of kind of personal um, stories about women in Norway and in, in Germany and why they went to these places and what was happening there. And they say, the Norwegian one, which is Kari Olsen, says that basically the process of trying to determine, like, the complexity of the categorization that was necessary to decide who was going where (laughs) was so complicated that it just couldn't really work in practice. And they, they just eventually just kind of sent people off semi-randomly because like I don't know you're at your job like (laughs) you don't really know you it's probable it's all nonsense that some crazy man made up yeah and like like what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you send them to this home instead of that home no one will know as long as you don't send them to like Germany then it's probably not gonna like we've all like We've all had a day where you're just like, eh. Yeah. And I feel like people who fuck with people's lives like this, which is what they're doing, yeah. are not are not really, like, are probably not that different from the rest of us. But, yeah, it took quite a lot. There were 2,514 Norwegian women 
by the end of 1942, registered at Levensborn mm-hmm. in Norway. And about 40% of them said that they wanted to marry. And another 300 of them had gone to Germany to live with the family of their husbands slash boyfriends slash, I don't know, partner, father yeah. of their children. Sure. Which is interesting. Yeah. But that, you know, it's a reasonably significant number. It's quite a lot. Yes. And it caused very severe problems after the war. Shall we do after the war here before we get to the next horrible thing? Because We'll get to horrible. the next horrible thing first because there is actually... Actually, we're going to go back to video games. There's a really good video game about it. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Um, in one of those, like... One of those video games are not really a video game. It's just like a novel where like you take Like a point buttons. and click sort of yeah. story. All right, don't be coming at my point and clicks. Yeah. No, they're very popular. I find Jamie loves them. <laughs> So should we talk about the stolen children? We can. I think it's important to say that Levensborn took hold really well in the Netherlands, but it also, they had like one home in France um, where there were way more war babies, like a lot, like 50,000 were registered as being war babies by 42. And so Levensborn home was ended there and there was one in Belgium and... None in the Netherlands, because the NSV took charge there for some reason. <laughs> Don't know why. Yeah. But, so they were kind of everywhere, and there were a lot... There were Levensborn homes... Oh, my pronunciation's gone very wrong. I'm so sorry, Barbara. Uh, <laughs> around Eastern Europe as well, but they had a very different approach. Yeah. So- which is that they did not in any way encourage the encourage children to be born and they did not encourage German men to sleep with women in Eastern Europe because obviously they thought that they were racially impure. Yeah. And also I think things weren't progressing fast enough um, as the war yes. went on. So in- having said that, a lot of what so um this is from another article in that children um, of world war ii book talks a lot about what prompted them and they become himmler again became fantastically obsessed that the german men were so virile Mm -hmm. that there would be half a million children born of german men in eastern europe within like two years sure So he was genuinely very, very afraid that there would be... Him and Alfred Rosenberg, also a terrible man, decided that it would be necessary, not necessarily also to breed lots of good Aryan children, but to prevent the Eastern European people from becoming Germanized in a bad way and to control that. So... He said, this is a quote from Alfred Rosenberg. It must be avoided that a German blood flow reaches foreign peoples of the East, though through children conceived in extramarital relations. And simultaneously that the German people thus loses valuable powers. 
Cool. Yeah, that's just so logical. And Himmler said a very similar thing, which is that basically their fear was that there were going to be half a million children born of German men and Eastern European women, and that this would, if it left unchecked, if they didn't do something about it, then it would strengthen the enemy because the German blood was so strong and good Mm -hmm. that it would make them stronger. Yes, yeah, those babies that would be like a year old would be able to take down yes. the German army. and eventually, because obviously they're planning like a thousand year Reich, and eventually that would be a problem. And so the twofold plan was to take, was basically to rate every child that they could find, that was the child of a German father, rank them according to how valuable they were to Germany, and then take the ones that were super valuable and steal them and send them to Germany. Well, they didn't They didn't just steal valuable ones. They stole children they thought might be and then determined how valuable they were. And yeah. if they didn't make the grade, they weren't sent home. They were sent to camps. Yes, yes. Or they were sent to orphanages to be Germanized. Yeah, and, this, and um, there were, three, I think, three grades like desirable, acceptable, or no fuck off. So no fuck off being the technical term. The technical term. And so the the third category, they were just sent away. They were either killed or sent to camps, as were any of the other two groups of kids who just didn't Germanize well enough, who yeah. were refused to forget their real parents, um, who rebelled against the foster families they were placed in or the orphanages they were placed in. Um, and they were then also sent to camps because Nazis. Yeah, because Nazis. Yeah. Because their plan was to eradicate entire peoples yeah. and do a very, very big genocide. Yes. So there were, I mean, a lot of children were stolen and a lot of them, about 500, about 250 were taken from Eastern European and sent to Germany. Another 250 from Norway were sent to Germany there were like another 150 or so taken from Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia and Belarusia. Like those were considered to be the very valuable ones. And then were everyone, all the other children were, were sent away. But those children were taken from their homes, taken into the German Lebensborn maternity homes and then sent to be fostered or adopted by German people in order to raise them as German. And I read a book called Hitler's Forgotten Children, um, which is by... Um, I don't know why I'm scrolling like way back through the book. <laughs> Ingrid van Ulhafen, mm -hmm. who was a woman from what was then Yugoslavia, who was considered to be racially valuable and was taken away from her mother when she was about four or five years old and then sent to Germany in order to be raised by German parents with no real idea of what of what had happened to her because she was so little. Yeah. And then was the book is about her kind of search for where she came from and we will get to this as well, which is why we don't really know about it. And the reason that we don't know about it is covered in this book, which is that people did not talk about it for a very, very long time. Yeah. Because the thing with this is that the children were not told where they were from. Yeah. 
and the parents and foster parents and adoptive parents, the parents who had their biological children lied about who their fathers were, the foster parents and adoptive parents lied about where their children had come from because nobody wanted to associate themselves with something so terrible. Yeah. Despite their collusion with it, although, again, how far one can say that, like, unwed mothers with nowhere else to go were colluding is challenging, but but they did, like, they were treated as collaborators regardless, especially in Norway. Yeah, yeah. And for, I think... For the kids as they grew up and became adults and then started to try and research on their own and that then meant that they were finding it because often these were the fathers were high up SS officers so often they mm-hmm. were then faced as fi- with finding out like specifically what their biological father had done during the war which in some cases was horrific horrific things yes a majority of them were told things like oh your father died in the war yeah so the Levens born in Norway were a real problem after the war because Levensborn had been such a a well-known thing. It was known that there were large numbers of children and that it had been something that was a government program. People knew about it. It wasn't something that people could pretend they didn't know about. And Norway is not that big. Yeah. So that it was a problem that, that had to be dealt with immediately at the time. Um, and there were a lot of discussions. One of the one of the genuine things that was put forward was to send all of the children and all of their mothers to basically expel them all from Norway and send them to Germany. Right, yep. Which was a genuine thing. They eventually they decided, because they're better than that, that these were these were Norwegian citizens and so they had to be treated as such. But there was still a great sense that they didn't want to they didn't want to be responsible for them or they didn't want them in their communities. There became a lot of kind of nimbyism about the situation. Yeah. And so there was a thing they got a guy, I'm going to find his name and then I'm going to mangle the pronunciation really badly. Um, Because if you think my German is bad, wait till you get to my Norwegian. (laughs) He was a leading psychiatrist called Ornolf Oldegaard to ask what the and this goes to show how the nazi obsession with blood was not necessarily an isolated one by any stretch of the imagination the people in norway were concerned what the effect of german blood would be on these children sure great and so they got a guy called ornolf oldegard to evaluate some of the children and their mothers and he spoke to 35 women who had had sex with German soldiers. And he decided that almost all of the women, of which 9,000 was the number being used, this is in the like late 1940s, early 1950s, were, I'm not going to use the term that they use, were um, intellectually disabled. Sure. Right. They Great. used cool. the R word, which I'm not going to use. No, obviously not. But, you know... He therefore claimed that 60% of the children born of German fathers and Norwegian mothers would be intellectually disabled. And therefore, if both parents were intellectually disabled, over 90% of the war babies, he believed, would be fundamentally... Great. 
yeah, that to such a degree they would be unable to function in Norwegian society. And he recommended that almost all of them be put in homes for for intellectually disabled people and left there. Well, he sounds like a horrible, horrible cunt. He was, and yet it was his plan that kind of won. So a lot of them, because so many of these children, so a lot of children in Norway had been, their mothers had left them there and they had been put into orphanages. There was not a great... They were the ones who were not considered to be pure enough to go to Germany were taken off and were put in orphanages, basically, because there was not a great number of families needing to adopt with the resources and time and an ability to adopt during World War Two. Yeah. And I think aside from the official stance, mothers and children from um, Lebensborn were just open to being really harassed socially like there, yes there was a huge so, stigma so i think like for example um annafred lingstad from Erba was a lebensborn baby from norway and her grandmother took her to sweden to escape it so they could live more anonymously yeah and her that happened a later, lot but um, and a lot were turned back and having a german father was considered to be a reason to prevent having a getting a refugee passport to to sweden yeah so they must have snuck her in yeah. But yeah, so a lot of those children, some were sent to, sent back to their biological mothers, whether they wanted them or not, and a lot didn't. Because, so this is where the game comes in. So there was a game called uh, My Child Lebensborn, which is a kind of story driven game where you make choices. And if you go to mychildlebensborn.com, then you can play it. And you are the mother of a Lebensborn child in rural Norway and you are having to try to raise your child and send them to school and feed them and care for them in a situation where they're being actively bullied and ostracised and abused in daily life for being a Lebensborn child. And there are... like You can just watch the trailer and the trailer has like the priest refusing to give them communion and them being bullied in school and you have to like wash their clothes because they're coming home covered in mud and then at the end of each like cycle you can find out what changes like what your what impact you're having on the child's personality Mm -hmm. and and things like that and you can also go to if you go to about it's like an Android game, so you can download it on I, I know, iPhone game, I guess, if you're one of those people. <laughs> I am. So. I know. I Sorry know. about it. I forgive you, but I don't understand <laughs> it. Yeah, if you go to, like, there's an About page and there's a True Stories page, which tells you where they got their, like, what bits they changed and what bits are taken from, which is just my child Liebensborn slash true story. As, a, as an aside, we did like a survey and a load of people said, Emma's always saying that she said and put stuff in show notes and then never does. So <laughs> at the end, we'll tell you where you can actually go because I've set up a place where you can go and see what the fuck I'm talking about when I say <laughs> that I read a thing. And it's going to have all the things that I read and links to them if they're available. And I'll put this link in there. <laughs> Anyway, it has like a long thing about like what, where the stories came from and it has sources, one of which is Kari Olsen 
and one of which actually is Children of World War Two, The Hidden Enemy Legacy. Mm-hmm. And a few other things and interviews that they did with Lebensborn children and like what the specific scenarios in the game that you play that are based on real experiences from people that they spoke to. Right. So like the fact that National Day or like Victory Day, which I think is May the 8th. Ignore that if that's not true. In Norway... <laughs> Like was a big problem uh, with of children with German fathers being massively bullied and like specific incidents in the school and things like that. But also at the same time, it's 1951 in Norway and you have to deal with rationing as well. So yeah. in order to look after your child, you have to like scavenge for food in a place where nobody will give you food because you had a child with a, a German man. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously... It's really fucking depressing, but I really like it as a way to experience history in a way that you can actually feel it. Yeah. Like you can actually like experience the kind of difficulties and the kind of what what feels like yeah. impossible situations that you get stuck in in rural Norway in 1951 when the child of your, the father of your child is German. Yeah. And you are seen as... As a collaborator and a stain. Yeah. Even if you have just adopted that child. And the problem of collaboration, I just recently read, this is related, the Nenedi Okorafor book, which I'm now having a complete, Who Fears Death is called, and is about Somalian war children where rape was used as a weapon to specifically destroy communities during the Somalian wars, mm. to specifically impregnate women so that they would have enemy children and that that would rip the community apart yeah that's um, and that was a in, like, very specific war effort yeah in the way in the way that Levensborn was a very specific war effort to to build one community at the expense of another yeah which is how these things always go yeah and because it's not the only case of um official programs to use children as a way to advance a racial ideology that yeah happens... and to eradicate another racial yeah it happens like a lot like australia over the course of the 20th century in between 1910 and as late as 1970 had a program of stealing aboriginal children predominantly mixed race but also full blooded mm-hmm. Aboriginal children from their homes and from their families under the name of guardianship. These were programs that were that like the position that authorised this these sorts of policies in each Australian state or territory were always called the protector of the Aborigines. Um, yes. And they were put in these programs to steal children and foster them or put them in orphanages in white communities with the hope that they would assimilate into white culture and be unable to socialise with their own and therefore yeah. eventually would basically breed out <laughs> Aboriginal people yeah. from Australia. That was the program. It was at the Northern Territory uh, Chief Protector of the Aborigines, a guy called Dr Cecil Cook who sounds like a cock. Yeah. As he put it, it was a deliberate effort to convert the half-caste into a white citizen. Um, yeah. And it continued until 1970, which is... It was remarkably similar recent. to the Canadian residential school programme of stealing children so that they could not be influenced by their own culture. Mm-hmm. And then from what were then called 
Indians mm-hmm. and are now called the First Nations of Canada because that's what they are. Yeah, and they were they were the kinder specifically depriving them of their own language, of their own culture, of their parents, forcing them to to speak the language, and then violently punishing them if they failed to be white enough. Yeah. Um, and there was a Swedish program called Kinder de Landstras, which translates as Children of the Country Road, which was an effort to assimilate the Yenish population. The Yenish were a, or are a distinct traveller group, although they, I don't mm-hmm. think they are, tra- like, predominantly, I don't think they're travellers anymore. Um, but, yeah, they would remove them from the parents and place them in foster homes. They took almost 600 children between 1926 and, again, 1973, yeah. which is so recent. It really is. Yeah. And we like to think of this as being some kind of like 18th century situation, but it really wasn't. Yeah. The last Canadian, you'll like this one. And when I say like, I mean, you'll want to have a lie down and maybe take a lot of cough medicine. The last federally operated residential school in Canada for First Nations people was closed in 1996. Yeah, that's gonna, that one. It's a swift blow to the, blow to the chest, that one. And there are others across Lapland to assimilate Sami children and Greenland and Denmark had similar programs. Just, it's eugenics and it's yeah, really yeah. widespread. And I like I wanted to talk about the fact that there are so many programs that are not dissimilar to Labour's Born Children because it's so easy to go, oh, it's Nazis, Nazis were ho- horrific, it's inhuman. But it is actually a very human thing that a lot of humans have done in a lot of different places. And we can't assume that it's them and not us because it's, it's uh, white people suck. We've done when we are all <laughs> like... You know, I think it's unhelpful to just look at this as one of the horrors of Nazism because it's much, much bigger than that. It is much, much bigger than that. The Nazis, once again, managed to combine it with stuff which made it really horrific Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and did it in such a way... Like, they like to really add, like, bolt stuff on, like stealing children and, and sending them to death camps. Yeah. That just adds that extra quality of of just extra horror to yeah. this core of your soul. They did a lot of horror all at once across a very small span of years. Yeah, um, it really and wasn't I think that long. that's what makes them the gold standard of awful <laughs> people. Um, but, I mean, the British Empire and former British colonies really do like to join in. Yeah, yeah. The co- colonisation is a doozy. Yeah. I mean, I know I've spoken about this book before, but Exterminate All the Brutes, which is by, a, I want to say, Swedish guy. The argument of that book is that the Nazis took all of their ideas pretty much from mm-hmm. 19th century colonialists, 18th, yeah. 19th century colonialists in Africa. Yep. I mean, I feel like yeah. that would be difficult to argue with. But yeah, so now we're in this period... We're really very, very recently. It's only in the 2000s that people have, that the children of these programs have started to speak up openly and talk about their experiences because there was an immense amount of shame, an immense amount of secrecy. A lot of records were destroyed. Yeah, basically all records of all at least kidnapped children were destroyed in the last stages of the war i think as germany realized they were losing they got rid of a lot of incriminating shit but now people are kind of starting to come together and there is a woman who has started a kind of group for them a, a 
a support group, I guess, called Leben Supren, which is Tracing Life. And there's a few who did a lot of press about, oh God, 13 years ago now, led by a woman called Gisela Heidenreich and a guy called Guntram Weber, who discovered, Guntram Weber discovered in 2002, when he was well into his 60s, that he, his father was not just a random unnamed soldier who had died in the war, but was a high-ranking SS officer who had escaped to Argentina. Mm-hmm. And Gisela Heidenreich was an unmarried, his mother was unmarried and again was told that her father was just a guy who had died in the war and then also found out that her father was a senior SS officer. And the two of them have started this this support group and started talking a lot about it and then bringing people together to be able to talk about how they found out and to help them find out who they really are. And Gisela Heidenreich found out because she watched documentary and associated her experiences. the experiences that were being described of like oh I, this is what I was told this is who I was mm-hmm. this is what people told me about my parents were exactly what she had been told and yeah. she became suspicious and started to investigate but a lot of people are finding out like as their parents are dying and they're finally like doing deathbed confessions of who their parents really are mm-hmm. or like their parents have died and so they are able to investigate without upsetting their parents or uh, their grandchildren are investigating. So people in their 20, like our age, basically in their 20s and 30s are doing fucking 23 and me. <laughs> yeah, looking on to ancestry.com and finding exactly. out some shit. And like finding that the people that they, and yeah, you know, doing the stuff that we do these days and yeah. finding this stuff out. And that is why it's like, their books about it are coming out really recently in the past 20 years uh, is I couldn't really find much beyond that the first the first book published on it I think was published in like 2001 like the first like personal experience biography yeah. of it mm. which is kind of wild when you think about it yeah. <laughs> like it's really all well into the like 60s like 60 years this was real issue that that was protected and people were kind of not just protected but like kept in a a kind of shame silence yeah where they were unable to talk about their, themselves and their histories because of it and there's a very good I'll, I promise I'll put this into <laughs> the Spiegel article about it which is in English because yeah, my German really, really... is as you might have noticed terrible yeah I think that that article is a really good read in particular because it is just about personal experiences like this isn't it's not about the history of it so much it's just people yeah about how they found out and how they feel about it and in the highly unlikely chance that you can get hold of it but bits of it are on google books the dorothy schmidt costa a topic for life children of german lebensborn homes article is interviews with the mothers about their experiences of why they went to the Lebensborn homes and their experiences afterwards as well, which is, you know, distressing but interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so there was like like 10 years ago, 12 years ago, there was there was a big spate of articles about, I'm just so sorry about this pronunciation, Lebensuprun, <laughs> a group there of people telling their stories and kind of breaking down the silence, which is an important thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Because they've got the bonus. It's like the, the multiple shames of being war babies and nazism 
Yep. And the secrecy that surrounds all of those things in the aftermath of the war. It's a hideous mix of things to have to come to terms with. It is. You know, another thing that came up in the survey, Julina, was they said sometimes we were too too light and less <laughs> levity. Like that one person said that. And yeah. so I feel like this this one has really really taken all the levity out of my soul, to be honest. Yeah, it's a really un unlevitable topic. It doesn't even have lasers. No lasers. It's At least just, the other Nazis had lasers. It's just really grim. It's a really grim thing that I did not learn about in school. So No. I mean, to be fair, I didn't really know about the Nazis in school. We did Between the Wars. Yeah, that was, we, we did as well, but we got a little bit into it. I mean, again, as, as I said, I think when we talked about the spirit of Longinus and that sort of nonsense, really just scratched the surface of Nazis when I was at <laughs> high school. I mean, yeah, I might have been more into... Somebody asked me actually this week on a... Sorry, I've been cheating on you with other podcasts. So rude. I'm doing like a bunch of other podcasts in the next couple of weeks so which if you listen to literally any other podcast I'll probably be on it at some point <laughs> actually right as a complete aside while I remember it somebody asked me ages ago to do a special episode on Agrippina because I wrote a book on her but I've done the History Extra podcast about her so if you want to listen to the History Extra podcast on yeah. Agrippina then you can listen to that or just buy the book which is basically a History of Sexy but it doesn't have Janine on it and therefore is less good and obviously less sexy. Obviously. <laughs> one day we'll do one, probably. But, yeah, it's just me droning on, to be honest. Actually, maybe don't listen to it if Janina is your favourite bit, which I is mean, my favourite bit. just read, read the book. It's really good. Why haven't Thanks, you read the book Janina. yet, everyone? Somebody posted on Twitter the other day, which I was briefly back on, my favourite line, someone finally screenshotted my favourite line. <laughs> which is... <laughs> As emperor of the Western world, Claudius had a lot of problems, but getting his dick wet wasn't one. <laughs> it's very, very good. Uh, uh, it still makes me laugh. I wrote that like two years ago. It's very uh, good. <laughs> um, anyway. Anyway, so that's... There you go. That's, you, can be, you can be amusing about the Romans. You, you can. And we can be amusing we, next week, or not, not next week, but next We're not going to be amusing next week. We I hope this, this has probably answered the question, and I think that was, like, quite enough of the sadness. But, yeah, because Oliver is leaving the country. Not yeah. leaving History is Sexy, thankfully. No, just leaving uh, the UK, and who just can leaving the, the UK. places of class to fuck at the moment? Which no one can blame him or Barbara for. No. So um, in order to like pack up all his shit and leave the country, we're going to take a week off so he doesn't have to edit our rambles yeah, and take means... out all the bits where I go, hang on a minute, I'm scrolling up the notes. <laughs> I'm going to find this name. So we will be back in a, a month, exactly a month. It's easy because it's February now, so it'll be the 21st of March the next episode comes out it confuses out. me so much when that happens it makes life so easy for that one moment in time and then it goes back to being complicated again you say that but I spend all of my time looking at my Google calendar going am I at March or am I in February where am I putting these things what am I doing when I said I would do it on the 18th did I say I said Monday the 18th but is it was it March it does it also March? mean that technically invoices feel like they're due a little bit later because if you put 30 days on an invoice and then it means oh, a month yeah. or just under a month but all of a sudden it means just over a month that's yeah. that's the bad part but so we will be back on the 21st of March and we will be talking and this, basically it will be an episode of me because the question is right in my wheelhouse it is and I know literally nothing 
So um, this is great. I feel like you might have planted this person. The question is from Poppy Later. I didn't. I didn't even know this person. I feel like maybe you should marry her. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> but she asked, why are so many musicals slash theatre productions based on revolutions? E.g. Les Miserables and Hamilton. And yeah. Janina loves musical theatre. I have a degree me. in musical theatre and that is not yeah. a joke. It's literally true. So we, I'm I can't gonna, wait personally. I'm going to get into yeah. it. I'm going to learn so much about musical theatre. <laughs> I hope you're going to sing. I, you won't, I won't be able to see you dance, which is a real shame because I love love watching you dance. <laughs> you stop. So yeah, we're going to talk about musicals and I'm going to probably get carried away. Yay! And that will be a real change of pace from this sad one about stolen children, raped women, just Nazi, dreadful Nazis. Yeah. I mean, we will probably have to talk about Fantine, and she did not have a good time. She did not have a good time. I've never seen Les Mis. I've never read Les Mis. I read the Wikipedia of it when it was on the BBC at New Year. Sure. That's all um, you need. Because I watched a bit of it and then decided I didn't like it. So, <laughs> but my partner loves Les Mis, so... The book or the musical? The musical. The musical, right. Excellent. I don't know that he's read the book. I'll find out. He seems like the type that would. He mm. does seem like the type that would, doesn't he? But he's a, he's a surprising man. He has many layers. <laughs> he's going to be so mad at me for talking about him. <laughs> <laughs> Not as mad as he's going to be at me when we talk about him. <laughs> we'll, share, we'll share that. Right, but before we go, right, I've, we've done a thing. We have done so, a thing. <laughs> so this is solving two problems that we have in one. The first problem that we have is that we never put anything in the show notes so people never know what we've read. So we've got a place for that now. Um, and the second problem that we have is that we have to pay for stuff for this. Yeah, we have hosting fees. Coming uh, up soon that we have to pay up. for it again. And there's one of the reasons why we don't have like a proper website and stuff is that all of us are poor and we can't <laughs> be handing out extra money for websites. So now we have a Kofi page where yeah. you can put little posts so i'm putting the posts there with the reading for each episode and i'll put like a little link to each episode as well and if you want to and there's like no obligation we're not gonna like yeah. harass you or Just anything but you can give us three you would quid. like to you can give us three quid um, like if you would buy us a coffee yeah. like if you met one of us in the street and you would take us and buy us i have a a, a medium black americano mm-hmm. i have a flat white there you go don't know what oliver has but if you'd buy us a coffee or a nice cup of tea, then then you can just do that, basically. And you just do it once and you don't have to sign up for anything. But yeah. that would be nice. But we would really so appreciate that. You... And you can get there at, it's at bit.ly slash support sexy history. Uh, but yes. we'll also tweet out a link. We will tweet that and I will put it on the Twitter, which is at sexy history pod. Or if that is somehow i don't know if you're not on twitter <laughs> then you can go to the facebook which i will always also put it there which is facebook.com slash sexy without the e history pod or you know just if you want to email us then i'll email you the link i guess yeah oh and that's at sexyhistorypod at gmail.com and you can send us questions like if you if there's a thing that you want us to talk about then just put it into question format <laughs> even if it's just like you know, would you like to talk about the Peloponnesian War? Or would you like to talk about whatever? Which I then, would because I'm fighting in it at the moment. 
yeah, then just put it into a question, send it to any of those three places, um, or I'm on and off Twitter at, at Nuclear Teeth. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at J9 and If. And Oliver is at Kiwa, but as I say, moving countries might not be that responsive right now. And I'm but you never can... responsive because I hate Twitter. And also I and love it. So, I'm yeah. writing a book, so... We're um, all managing our online We're all doing our best. Our yeah. own ways. But I I try to check in and just make sure that nobody's asked me to do anything or shout at me for anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just retweet my praise. That's all I'm doing at the moment, actually, because I just go in and then see if anybody said anything nice about me and then retweet it and then log back off again. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's reasonable. It's great. Yeah, so you can do those things. Ask us anything you like. Say hi. Then that's it. Is there anything else? I don't think so. I think that might be it. Thank you to everyone who filled out the survey. Yeah, we really appreciate, appreciate that. you taking the time. It was very kind of you and it was very useful. Yeah. And it's always nice to know what people think and what they want and don't. Sorry if we're quiet sometimes. <laughs> we're sick almost all the time, I yeah. have to say. I um. I just, Emma did all of that talking just now, literally because I was having a coughing fit. Yeah, Janina was having one hell of a coughing fit. It did sound quite a lot like Thulu was going to come. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Oliver will have some fun editing that out so that the <laughs> listeners don't have to deal with it. But uh, be aware, Janina's very sick. and be nice to her. <laughs> On that note, I'm going to, let's, let's all just go to bed, shall we? I think so, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bye, Janina. Bye. Bye.